0: Love, talk, radio. Love, talk
1: Radio. And
2: most important are the uh, the audience being able to speak to you. So we'll be getting. You're on live now, Billy way Okay. All right, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, the first class citizens of the world. This is the communicators coming to you over blogtalkradio.com, the Keys 107 network, and the telephone number to call in. You'll have the opportunity of calling in and asking the guests tonight on both segments your questions, your concerns. The telephone number is 213-943-3618. Two one three nine four three three six one eight. Two weeks ago, we had Reverend Shirley Moore on, and she was talking about public pensions and how they're in danger. And she collected, she connected it with LIBOR, something that exists. We may see it on a credit card statement, way at the bottom or somewhere and I've seen it in emails, and i paid attention to it, but they, uh, that particular agency within the financial structure of the United States has a particular job to do, and the way she explained it at that time is that the banks had gotten around LIBOR and had not given uh, the interest rates that, that the banks had been obligated to give to these pension funds in the various states and towns. So we said that we would get an expert on to give us a breakdown of it from, you know, from someone who knows the inner workings. So that's one part. The other part of of this first segment is going to deal with the so-called financial cliff that everybody thinks that they were freed from going over, at least the low-income and middle-income folks. We're going to get an understanding on that, and you of course, have the opportunity to call in in about uh, 20 minutes, and you'll have the opportunity of asking your own questions. Remember the number 213-943-3618, and you hit the number one on your telephone keypad, and that will let folks know that you desire to ask a question. Now, without further ado, Catherine Austin Fitz is our guest She has the website Solari.com, S-O-L-A-R-I. And, Catherine, thank you very, very much for joining us this evening on the Keys 7 Network.
3: Oh, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be back.
2: And, Catherine, in terms of public pensions, uh, today in a news uh, segment that I I think I heard on public radio, radio, uh, NPR, National Public Radio, they were talking about the state of Illinois and that they have a pension uh, problem in there, trying to uh, do some things to circumvent giving more uh, of the state funds into the pension and whatnot. So, uh, what is happening with public pensions? What is the connection with LIBOR, if at all? Please explain.
3: Okay, well, the public pensions. Are And, you know, the the thing to remember is every state is different in how they're organized. So I'm going to talk in generalities, but if you're part of a pension fund system, it's important you listen to me to remember I'm just speaking in generalities, and the specifics are very, you know, it gets granular very fast. Mm -hmm. Um, So remember, just please remember, you've got to look at the details of your own system. But the public pension funds... We have, as we know, a whole generation the baby boomers who are aging and retiring. Um, and over the years, they've been promised a great uh, deal of retirement savings. And as the money has gone into those pension funds to, to support them in their retirement, there are several uh, assumptions that go into uh, determining how quickly the employers, in this case municipalities and governmental agencies, Pay in, So you have assumptions about how long people are going to live and what the inflation rates are and other things, and then, and then you go ahead and you put assets in the pension fund and you make all sorts of assumptions about how much you're going to earn. So if the performance of the assets, so if the interest that you're earning or the dividends that you're earning drops, then the municipalities have to put more money in. Or if they're tremendous... Em- losses in the assets because of fraud, then the municipalities have to put more in. Now if the municipalities are under financial stress, then they're challenged to put in the money that you know that they would have to put in. So there there's all sorts of um sensitivity about whether or not the municipalities can keep affording to make their payment, which is m- exacerbated tremendously if there are losses in the in the pension fund for failure to earn what was expected, or you have losses from various kinds of fraud. And if you look at what the public pension funds have been investing in over the last two decades, they've been investing in a lot of the things that have financed the banks and doing some of the things we've read about, whether it's mortgage-backed securities in which there are a lot of frauds um and now what we're watching is a scandal over the libor interest rate. Now let me just explain what the libor interest rate is. It's the London interbank offered rate and mm-hmm. it sets the interest rate for a very significant amount of borrowings. You know that's, you know, one guy's borrowing the money but then another guy's investing in that in that, you know, in that uh loan, if you will, or that bond, or that, you know, it, it's a variety of different ways if the, the borrowings go off. So if you're a pension fund who's investing in that offering, then if the LIBOR rate is lower than it should be, you're making less. Now, the borrower may be borrowing less, and in many cases it was the banks. And so what we've seen is a real... Um, ha haha accusing the banks of um keeping the interest rates that they're paying to borrow low and that hurting a group of investors now it's important to remember it also advantaged a whole bunch of borrowers as well um but the but the the accusation is that um bankers manipulated the rates now let me just step back and talk about a bigger story which is we've seen the central banks and sovereign governments globally acting in concert to bring interest rates down. And so current interest rates are very low, and that's permitting government to borrow money very cheaply. But if you're retired in savings and living on,
4: mm-hmm.
3: you know, your bank CDs and, and other forms of yield, you're getting less and less uh, mm-hmm. earnings. And this is, of course, a concern for anybody, any retiree, and it's very much a concern for the pension funds who are not, having trouble getting the yields they were hoping to get. Mm-hmm. So, um this all gets back to how are we gonna run our pension system. Are we gonna run it uh you know, Tina Turner used to say we can do this nice or rough. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. And as you, you've watching our financial system unfold, we've been uh been um running it rough now can i tell a story because i think it gets at the heart of the matter yes yes please um and this is something that happened to me i was part of a group of people in washington who was working on a plan that would help re-engineer the federal budget and do it in a way that would make significant amounts of money for the pension funds and i've documented this in an online book called dylan reed and the aristocracy of stock profits and you can find it The URL is D-U-N-W-A-L-K-E, Dunwalkie, And the goal of that case study was to help people understand what happened and so the fundamental problem upon us. But I was working with a group of the largest pension funds in the country, including the largest public pension fund, CalPERS. And um, so I made a big presentation in the spring of 1997 showing basically how in every county, because America just breaks down to 3,100 counties, we could re the federal budget, including the federal housing budget, in a way that would significantly improve the value of communities and small business and real estate, and by so doing permit the pension funds to, to improve their returns tremendously on this rise in value within communities. And the president of CalPERS looked at me and he said, you don't understand it's too late. They've given up. They've given up on the country. They're moving all the money out starting in the fall. And that at that fall was when $4 trillion started to go missing from the federal government. We had the pump of the internet stocks and Enron and just an explosion of fraud. And what that what that combination of events did, I call it a financial coup d'etat, was it liquidated. We bubbled this economy with huge amounts of debt and we sucked a tremendous amount of money uh, reinvesting abroad, particularly in the emerging markets and a variety of other places, and at the same time, CalPERS and the other big public pension funds were buying enormous amounts of mortgage paper well it 's very simple if If you're engineering the movement of capital in a way that will shift all the income and jobs abroad, then why are you buying fantastic amounts of mortgage paper? And I'll I'll give you another story to show you how intentional this was and how well-known it was. In 1994, 1995, my company was working with the FHA commissioner um, who heads the Federal Housing Administration at HUD on their strategic plan at the same time that they were promulgating regulations for Fannie and Freddie. And when I first looked at the combination together, I said, wait a minute, you're planning on originating two- and three-hundred percent of the amount of, you know, houses in these communities. I said, people are going to have to refinance their mortgage two- and three-times from prison to make these numbers. And the controller of FHA looked at me and said, shut up, this is none of your business. Mm. So this was very engineered top-down by, you know, by government and the banks, and it was very understood what was happening. And the problem was that the public pension funds Participated. They helped finance this entire shift of capital, and sort of the fraudulent inducement of America in a in a process which I would describe as criminal. And the question is, there are very good and very strict laws that dictate how public pension fund monies can be invested. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. And yet,
3: what was clearly communicated to me, because the head of CalPERS said to me, "Look, you've got to get to." Um, you know, you've got to get to someone, and he mentioned the name of somebody who'd been a former partner of mine on Wall Street, who was former Secretary of Treasury. And the clear implication was that the the investment strategy of the public pension funds was being run by the shadow government mm. outside the law. Now, mm. the reality is, if if our governance system is going to manage our assets, including our retirement systems, completely out the outside of the law then we're in a very different situation, and that's why I call it a financial coup d'etat. And I think the question before us is, um, you know, how do we bring transparency to what what our pension fund's in? And that's why what I would love to see is the beneficiaries of public pension funds to the extent that they have time starting to organize and bring transparency to where the money in the pension funds is really going and how it's, being invested, because I have to tell you the LIBOR scandal is the tip of the iceberg in terms of the real problem. Okay, the LIBOR is London. London. The London Interbank um, Rate.
2: Okay. It's a, um, a, technically why, the name is
3: the London Interbank it, Offered Rate.
2: How is London
3: involved in
2: the financial sy- uh, uh, system here, I mean, to the extent that they
3: well you have a you have a group of approximately a dozen banks are setting LIBOR every day but includes many of the big American banks as well okay. so it's a, it it was it was traditionally set by a survey of the big banks okay. and and um you know and here's the interesting thing for every uh you know i what I would tell you is that is that the interest rates in our economy are not set by the market they're set by the central banks, um, and it's remember many of the big banks are acting as agents for the central banks that they that they represent or serve as agents, and interest rates has been driven have been driven down tremendously. Um, now, for every person who loses money because interest rates are lower, there's somebody who makes money. Exactly. So, for example, people will talk about I'm happy interest rates are low because I can get a mortgage at a cheaper rate. But yet if I'm a saver, you know, I'm very unhappy because I'm depending on the the money I'm making on my bank CDs and I'm getting hardly anything. So it advantages borrowers. But ch- cheaper interest rates advantage borrowers and hurt savers. And, of course, what we all know is, you know, what makes for a productive economy is savers, not borrowers.
2: When you look at what you indicate is the, is the shadow government, then what opportunity does the public have to correct the situation that is being manipulated by by those who are working through the people we see. And the people we see are quote supposedly legitimate and whatnot.
3: Right. Actually the public can have a very dramatic impact. Um you know the the, the British poet once said they are you know we are many, they are few um and and the secret to uh th- think of this it's very interesting if you map out how all the money on the planet works you know in the legal world, and then in the you you know if you go downstairs and because our world is a little bit like Disney World, you know upstairs we have Minnie and Mickey, but downstairs there's a whole underground that's sort of engineering things from below ground, yeah. and if you map out the whole um the whole sort of planetary economy, what you discover is that the whole economy is being harvested. You have a very centrally managed financial system. And um, whether it's by debasement of the currency or taxes or a variety of different things, you know, the living systems on this planet, whether it's the plants and animals and the land or the people, are being harvested. And I think the number one thing that we each have to do to begin to shift this thing is really develop a very strong immunity to being harvested, and part of that I call it coming clean. Part of that is not only making sure we and the people we love can't get harvested, um, but not participating in the harvesting. It's you know ourselves. So okay. um, um, that would step be one is
2: buying into creating debt for ourselves. Is that the harvesting or?
3: Well, number one is. I'll never forget, I was sitting in 1998 struggling and dealing with a huge amount of HUD corruption, and I was writing a check on J.P. Morgan Chase private banking, and I suddenly said, why am I banking at the bank who's doing this?
4: You know,
3: I've got to come clean. You know, if tomorrow every person in America woke up and said, you know, I'm not watching corporate TV. I'm just going to turn them off. And every person in America said, you know, I'm not banking at any bank I know to be behaving in manipulative or corrupt ways. I'm just pulling my money, uh, um, and it would start a complete revolution. Because one mm. of the things to understand is that if you are in uh, at a senior position in any government agency or on the board of directors, the message to you from the consumers is: if you cut me in for a lower ATM fee, I'll go along with anything. Got so, it. so the message. Le- can I tell another story? Yes. Okay, red button story. In the summer of 2000, I was um, I was speaking to a group of people called Spiritual Frontiers Foundation. We were they have a conference every year to talk about how they can help our society evolve spiritually. They're very spiritually committed people, and so I a friend of mine had asked to give a speech, which is part uh, an article that's called "Narco Dollars for Beginners," and it's a light, funny explanation of how organized crime dollars influence. Wall Street in Washington, Um, at the time the Department of Justice had said in connection with the Dark Alliance uh, testimony in Congress in 1998 that the U.S. financial system laundered $500 billion to a trillion dollars a year of all dirty money. And now, because of financial fraud, it's much larger than that. But this was back in 1998. The speech was in 2000. So I said to this wonderful group of spiritual committed people, what would happen if we stopped being the global leader? attracting 500 billion to a trillion dollars of all dirty money you know that's everything that's illegal gambling that's narcotics trafficking is financial fraud so uh... so we had a little interactive discussion and they said well, you know we have trouble financing the government deficit and that money would go to the exchanges and other financial capitals and not come to the new york stock exchange and i said okay well let's pretend there's a big red button up here in the lect- lectern and if you push that button you can stop all hard narcotics trafficking in your city, your county, your state, tomorrow, thus offending the people who control five hundred billion to a trillion dollars in the accumulated capital thereon. Who here will push the button? And out of a hundred people dedicated to evolving our society spiritually, guess how many would push the button? Five. One. So I said to the other ninety-nine, "Why would you not push the button?" They said, "We don't want our taxes to go up. We don't want our government mm. checks to stop, and and we don't want our IRAs and four hundred one ks to go down." So here's mm-hmm. the problem. Let's say, Brother Leroy, in, 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 you know, the, the the swearing in is January 20th. Let's say we made you president tomorrow,
4: mm-hmm. okay?
3: So, so what would happen is your political guy would come in and say, well, Mr. President, you know, we just spent over a billion dollars getting you elected, and what everybody in America wants is their check. They want their community block development grant. They want their low-income housing tax credit. They want their Social Security check. They want a COLA increase on the Social Security. Everybody wants their check. And your Secretary of the Treasury is going to turn around to you and say, Well, you better be nice to the people who control $500, trillion, 500 mm. billion to a trillion dollars a year of dirty money because.
4: Mm.
3: So if the American people will not support you in pushing the red button, how are you supposed to do it? it? Well, in fact, there is a way you can do it, but it means a radical reengineering of the federal budget. And, and a radical reengineering when you've got dug in constituencies you know, throughout trains and trillions of dollars. That's quite a political feat. And right now, most people in America will vote based on we just want our check. Exactly.
2: Let me, right. let me uh, run this to you, Kat, Catherine. Um, you go to the ATM, you pull out money, and the ATM receipt is longer as of uh, a few days ago. And at the bottom, it reads: By federal law, as of one January one, two thousand thirteen, funds in a non-interest-bearing account will no longer receive unlimited FDIC insurance, but will be FDIC insured to the legal maximum of two hundred fifty thousand dollars for each ownership category. Right. Why? Why was it necessary? What what's behind that notice being? I don't have two hundred fifty thousand dollars in the bank, but I'm reading this right. thing saying why is it there?
3: Well, it it went on during the the financial crisis to try and encourage liquidity to stay in the system,
0: okay. so
3: that you know somebody with more than two hundred fifty would leave it in because they didn't they weren't going to be concerned about the safety of the bank. Uh, and of course we expanded okay. who could be a bank. So okay. that you literally overnight had Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley could raise tremendous amounts of money using FDIC insurance, you know, on very large accounts.
2: Got it.
3: So you were trying to preserve the liquidity of the system. Okay. You know, that's dropping away. What's the chance that it could come back? Don't know.
2: Okay. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, our guest online is Ms. Captain Austin Fitz, and the telephone number here is 213. Nine four three three six one eight two one three nine four three three six one eight and and uh well you're you're welcome to call in and ask your questions uh, Brother Leroy is not an expert by any means in this area of finance, however, the fact that she is with us enables a lot of you who have concerns for this, that, and the other relating to finance or mortgages. You're welcome to call in two one three nine four three three six one eight and hit number one on your telephone keypad that'll indicate to our engineer that you desire to ask a question now when we talk about uh what we this this um acting or uh, whatever it was this drama of approaching the cliff, what are the things that the public should know that's right in front of us that we may not understand and especially in terms of our, our one thing that I read is that the taxes, the payroll tax, the way it's structured has indeed increased the weight on the uh the lower income, lower middle income folks. Right. And and that, that money that money, Michael Hudson On Gary Noll the other day, and he said, "Oh, good." He says only for the purpose of they're putting more money into the Social Security, only for the purpose of they're taking it out and feeding some other um, unauthorized monster. So, what what is your take on that?
3: Well, if you look at a family, say a family of four who are are bringing in fifty thousand a year, are now going to be out that thousand dollars of cash a year, which is a pretty sizable bite. Um, mm-hmm. And that money is going into the Social Security Trust Fund, where it's buying treasuries to finance the operation. The, mm-hmm. You know, there was a concern that a family of say fifty to seventy-five thousand was going to have another two to thirty-five hundred a year in taxes. And what I think it's very important to understand is what we don't pay for in increased taxes, we're going to pay for in the increased debasement of the currency. Because what's going to happen is they're going to they're going to basically sell more bonds to the federal reserve system or globally and that's going that money's not going to come into us in the form of income but it will hit us in the form of expenses mm. as the currency values around the globe fall and so so we're going to be hit with that tax if we're not hit with it directly as a direct tax it's going to come back around and hit us in a very sneaky way. Most people in America have been experiencing what I call the slow burn, which mm-hmm. is rises, steady rises in expenses ahead of their rises in, in income. And it's okay. that squeeze which is the result of the debasement. Now, right. I'm sorry, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead.
2: <laughs> well, we, we have a caller on the line. Caller, okay. thank you for your participation. You're on the air.
5: Yes, hi, Catherine. Good to hear you with with Leroy. This is the first I'm hearing you with him. And, uh, of course, I've heard you on coast and with with Alex, so uh, okay. I hope you'll be a regular. Uh, my question is this. Um, I, you know, I know someone in our community that's, that's, that's hanging on to J.P. Morgan Chase precisely for the reason you mentioned in terms of they have period where I guess they're not putting in an ATM uh, 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 fee. So it's a two-part question. How You know, when I tried to talk to him, it was like, well, if it's a credit union or a smaller bank, that they would be doing the same thing if they had blah, blah, blah. So I want to know how can I kind of uh, talk to somebody like that and give them the urgency around that participation. And also, I want to know what resources are out there, because one of your themes is about, we need to produce locally and consume locally. So I want to hear some, if you have it, or if you need to think about it, some concrete ways that we can come together in, in, in a in a unified fashion. In other words, is there somewhere that you can go on the web in New York City and find where there are smaller banks that, that haven't been brought up brought up by the Chasers and et cetera and find some credit union and banks, is that resource out there and concrete ways as to how we can make a a different type of banking system? And I I'll listen over the over the air. Thank you.
3: Okay. Excellent questions. Um, New York uh, is one uh, I would say has the thinnest sort of uh, thinnest inventory of local banks and credit unions, but there are some, mostly credit unions, and the the National Association, which insures credit unions. You can find them uh, in New York by place, or you can certainly, uh, uh, you know, my favorite thing is to pull out the yellow pages and start looking at what's close to me in the neighborhood. Um, If you go to my website, we have a Bank Intimate page. You can just do a search for Bank Intimate Solari. And uh, we have a description of, of sort of a process to go through to find a good local bank or credit union. And I think the issue, what I would say to somebody who's banking at a bank that has a record of criminal racketeering, is you don't want to do business with criminals unless you have the power to enforce against them. And I personally don't have the power to enforce against a criminal. I don't want criminals to know my most intimate data. Mm. I don't want them to know things about me. Mm. I don't want to give them the authority of saying that they're my banker. Um, Mm. It's dangerous. And certainly, you know, we understand how to protect ourselves from street criminals. I think we need to understand how to protect ourselves from boardroom criminals because they use our data and they use access to our accounts to do things that harm us. Um, one of my team members says when you put your faith in the people who are trying to kill you, things can only get worse. So what you're trying to do in the process of coming clean is put as many degrees of separation between you and people who have done and will do you harm, not for the purpose of getting a lower ATM fee, but getting criminals out of your life because you can have the cheapest ATM fees you know, on and on and on, but if you have criminals in your life, you know it. you know if you let them into your house, you know what happens, and so you can't let them into your financial house just like you don't let them into your house. House. Um, so, uh, you know, so what you're looking for, you're looking for an institution that behaves, you know, is both competent and ethical, and in the New York area, I would focus my search on credit unions because I think community banks have been tough. Um, some churches uh, have credit unions and then different professions have credit unions but there but there are some in New York. So um the other thing I would focus on in terms of organization of just one of my favorite my favorite mystery novels is a New Yorker, Andrew uh 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 Box and he uh he says, My family are the people who won't turn me in <laughs> mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Which you what you wanna do is you wanna start a conspiracy or be part of conspiracies. And the most valuable conspiracies in terms of the local economy is fresh food and there's a yes. tremendous amount that can be done with urban gardens and even growing food in apartments or you know on apartment roofs and um i think if there's anything that threatens all of us it's the absence of healthy economic fresh food that is the kind of food we need to be successful um brotherly worry i don't know if you've seen my favorite uh documentary of, uh actually it came out in 2010 but the Guy who made it was the Soleri Report hero of the year. Uh, it's called Fat, Sick, and Nearly Dead.
2: That's the uh, the one you talk about. You talk about the, yeah. uh, the guy that came from New
3: Zealand. Yeah,
0: what, one of the New examples. Zealand, he came from Australia. Juice, he,
3: juice fast. Yeah, he shows he shows a trucker from Iowa, uh, and he he points out it costs fourteen dollars a day to to juice with conventional food, twenty eight dollars a day. <laughs> um to to juice with organic food and fifty five thousand dollars to have a heart attack.
4: <laughs> wow.
3: Right. And so but, but if you look at what can be done with urban gardens or rooftop gardens or even in what the you know, within the apartments. I find the, the most successful conspiracies to build a local economy are people who get together and do food. There's a wonderful community in England who got together and really helped organize all the small grocers and small food you know, in farmer's markets. But I would focus on food because, the, to me, the number one thing that is going to help us succeed in this environment is that we have a clear body and a clear mind, and that comes all down to nutrition. We are what we eat. So, um, Catherine, and Catherine
2: I, hold on a second. Okay. We have to go to a commercial break and uh, various announcements. Ladies and gentlemen, our guest online is Miss Catherine Austin-Fitts, Fitz, fitts And you can go to Google, you can go to YouTube, you'll pick up a lot of information on her. Her website, solari.com, that's www.solari.com, and she's with us for a few more minutes. You're welcome to call in and be on the line after these announcements. Remember, the number is 213-943-3618. Hit number one on your telephone keypad and lets us know you have a question. We'll be
6: right back. You're listening to The Keys on Blog Talk Radio. This portion of The Keys was brought to us by Rafika Consultants and Services, LLC. Rafika Consultants and Services, LLC, is on the cutting edge of emerging technologies for designing online classes and providing face-to-face and virtual technology training or help with computer programs, web design, and graphic arts. We also provide biography writing services for websites. For more information, give us a call at 631-399-0149. That's 631-399-0149. This portion of the keys on Blog Talk Radio was brought to you by The Fluffs Present the Alphabet, now found in paperback, sporting a five-star rating on Amazon.com. This
5: portion of the keys
4: was
6: brought to us by Moon107.com. Moon 107 Fashions and gifts that bring out the best in you Moon 107 is an online retail store Featuring women's and men's clothing And the gift shop The woman's shop features stylish tunics Suits and accessories offers the well-dressed woman an outlet to find the perfect gift for self or for someone else. The men's shop offers classy French-cuffed shirts for the well-dressed man. The gift shop offers organic skin, hair, bath accessories, and inspirational music imported from Africa, India, and Asia, as well as jewelry and accessories. Moon 107, fashions and gifts that bring out the best in you. Don't forget Visit moon107.com. M A
4: U N 107. M A U N
6: 107. The Keys Network is proud to present live from the Harlem, USA, The Communicators with your host, Brother Leroy, every Saturday at 7 p.m. Following The Keys. On Blog Talk Radio, never forget the key, opening doors to endless possibilities.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, the first-class citizens of the world, we are back with you. Catherine Austin Fitz is with us for a few more minutes. Your questions are valued, so get them together and give us a ring. We're open to that. Uh, Kathleen, in light of things that you've seen, trends that you are sensitive to, what are some of the survival uh measures that low income and middle income people should be about today?
3: The what I would say is the You know, I said the most important thing is get the criminals out of your life in every aspect of your life. But the second is organize to protect your health and your knowledge. So we talked about food. I would say another one, and I've seen wonderful things happen in the churches where we organize to help each other get out of debt.
4: Mm -hmm. So I
3: don't know if you know the story of the church in Norfolk that did a whole program and literally went around the congregation doing special ties, getting each other out of debt, doing counseling. Um tell and us then
2: that the,
4: story. tell us
3: that story. Really? It was a, it was a church down in Norfolk. It's it's uh if you watch the documentary Danny Schechter up in New York made um, Max Out and he okay. tells the story of the church in that documentary, which is a wonderful one. It's a wonderful one to give your kids, um because it shows you the extent that they target young people in credit cards. Um, But what they did was they did a special program, and they went around the congregation, and anybody who had a severe debt problem, they worked to counsel them, and then they would take a special tithe, and the whole church would raise money and pay off their debt. And, um, yeah, it's quite remarkable. But we need to help each other. Uh, That's why I encourage people to start, I call them salaria circles, where they get together.
0: Mm. And they start
3: helping each other, you know, because I'm always saying, don't worry about whether there is a conspiracy. If you're not in one, you need to start one. And Mm. um, Because we're functioning in a hostile environment, and we need to help each other not only understand what's going on, but organize in a way that saves us time and money. And each, you know, each community and each person is different, but we need to focus on things that improve our health and lower our expenses, or help us make money. The the other thing I would mention, which I think is unbelievably important, is the economy is going through enormous creative destruction. We have new technology coming, and that's going to accelerate in 2013 and 2014. And you want to make sure, and this is particularly the young people who are going to school um, or even going to college, you want to make sure that you're focused on learning the skills that are going to be relevant in the workplace uh, tomorrow. We see... Tremendous increase in robotics and other things, which are going to, you know, change the employment picture tremendously, and it's going to be uh, there's going to be tremendous demand for people who have the technology skills. So mm-hmm. if you're not a lifelong learner, you sure want to become one because um, this is an environment that's going to lend itself to people who are constantly uh, upgrading their skills and and seeing where the economy is going because technology has just begun to change things The changes that are going to be rolling out In the next couple of years are pretty dazzling
2: mm. Mm. Okay um, Get the criminals out of your life The fresh foods concept um, Local gardens Your own urban gardens Rooftop gardens window gardens um the circles uh, where, where folks are Understanding that they're functioning in a hostile environment that is a predatory right. environment that will take advantage of the unwary. So you form a circle uh, within your church, within your neighborhood, within your family that will trade information and upgrade information and uh, for the purpose of staying out of debt and making smart moves um, that will minimize debt. The technology right. aspect the, the- of our lives. Go ahead.
3: Yeah, the bottom line is we have we have people conspiring to take away what we have. And so we need yeah. to actively conspire to 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 develop an immunity to them, but to build new wealth for ourselves. And that takes organization. Um if I could recommend one thing, we did a wonderful salary report with Jay Hughes on building family wealth. Um mm-hmm. and it talks a lot about the different sort of Ways a family can conspire, but you can use the information to, you know, to work with lots of. You define who your family is, but we need to, you know, if the if the guys who are stealing it from us can conspire, we can conspire too.
4: Right. So
3: we need to go at it. Uh, we need to go. Well, we we need to start conspiracies.
2: <laughs> okay. Well, in, in this case, is working together and without fans here, but working together for the benefit. The mutual benefit of survival and growth and development so if you look two, at
3: right, right. If you look at any minority neighborhood that I've ever sat down and looked hard at, what you'll find is all the savings and investment in that community is being invested into the predators. We're giving the predators our money
2: mm. Mm. and uh the in the past, when I say in the past, there were reports on um the non-reinvestment, the redlining, that's how it Uh You put so much money in XYZ Bank, but the bank wasn't lending in the community where they're siphoning off or backing off the income or the, the, the deposits that they were getting.
3: Right, and that is happening throughout the banking system in every county in America today because right now the pressure from the government is for the banks to lend back to the government and finance government operations and not lend to small business. So we've seen personal and small business credit really cut off, and that's throughout the country. I would say the one thing I would focus on in in many, you know, in in terms of minority communities is what is the the greatest control technique in America is divide and conquer, Um, turning men against women, turning black against white, turning young against old um mm-hmm. and there are fantastic number of ways you know that that happens i live in a very segregated community and i'm always telling everybody look if you would just collaborate about the money you could hate each other rich instead of hating each other poor mm. and and the key politically is to turn us against each other um on issues that are non-financial so that the that the people running the system can continue to control the money and that's the question how do we beat that rap and i you know in my lifetime i've never seen us be able to figure out how to beat that rap and and but if we could do it if we could if we could literally get to the point where where men and women black and white and and rich and poor and uh and old and young can collaborate outside the matrix to shift the the playing field the opportunities are um, important because if there's one thing i should stress to you that the central is, the central control of the system is terribly destructive of wealth so we're watching an economy that's destroying wealth it's centralizing wealth but as it does it shrinks total wealth so what we need is a vision that that increases wealth and in fact a decentralizing system the the wealth potential is extraordinary because if you look at how much is being sucked out and being harvested It's so fantastic. It's amazing that we're still standing. (laughs) But it speaks to the wealth of what is possible if you could freely engineer to an economy which was really where you could align the financial system with living systems, whether it's people or land or animals. Um, But if if you could re-engineer the federal government so that you could optimize the wealth of every county, it would be fantastic what's possible.
2: What is the the manipulation if any that's going on with college loans and with these fly by night I call them fly by night uh career schools that in the urban areas at least are they they have these small ads that run in the back of the paper dealing with uh truck driving and uh become a tech this and a tech that nurse. No GED needed These are, uh Those are Outright flags Of a possible stem. Um But as In the urban Area As uh, Blacks Are not Educated In the regular Public school And they come out And flounder Around And these Schools Are there They they, they uh, Oh There's a the connection I'm sorry In New York They're closing A lot of Schools Uh under this you know, the leadership of the mayor and among the schools are working schools, that is schools that are actually functioning and getting our grads and they're trade schools. These schools are closing down and meanwhile we see a proliferation of, of so called uh trade uh, schools outside of the peculiar system that are opening up. What is going on from your vantage point, in terms of college loans and 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 also these these so-called trade schools.
3: Well, I once wrote an article called "The Financial Hitman of uh, of Student Loans," mm. and um, about a guy named William Deufendorfer Dief- who used to be on my board, who's on the board of Sallie Mae. Used to be on the board of Sallie Mae, which is the G or it used to be a government-sponsored enterprise that's privatized now, which securitizes the student loans and based on what i saw from that process and what's happened what i would tell you is that there has been a um just as i said we liquidated the capital of the country through the fraudulent inducement of the mortgage market and the housing market you know so we've done it with student loans and i think part of it is um is a goal to control if young people come out of college without any debt they have the wherewithal to become Entrepreneurs and be very financially independent mm. if they come out of um out of college uh with significant debt, it's much easier to force them onto the corporate treadmill or particularly into the army and military mm. um You know paying off your student loans or helping pay off family debt has been a very big recruiting mm. tactic for the military, so I think you mm. know think of it as a kind of serfdom, and the frightening thing about the student loans as you know is they can't be extinguished in bankruptcy. So you're really literally talking about a kind of serfdom. And the frightening thing I see is not just the kind of scams that go on at the trade schools. And, of course, people, you know, what happens is in hopes of improving my ability to generate an income, I get on a debt treadmill to go to some of these places. Um, But what you're seeing in the the colleges is, uh, and this is happening to kids from families who you think would be, Better educated, more sophisticated, you have children paying you know taking on anywhere from forty to three hundred thousand dollars in financial mm. loans mm. to get an education that takes a great deal of their time, but the curriculum is no longer relevant to where the world is going right and right, and so literally now here's the terrible thing to tell you is and this is why I encourage you to read the Dylan Reed story or the other. Um the other piece I, I try and encourage people to, who really want to understand what's going on with the economy is, um, and you can find it on my blog or on on YouTube, is Sir James Goldsmith's interview with Charlie Rose in 1994. And what Goldsmith describes in his interview and what I describe in the Dylan Reed story is that globalization is now being engineered with a vengeance and what we have to do is we completely have to re-engineer um, our whole Economy at the household level and the community level if we're going to preserve the middle class and in fact, a decision was made essentially to intentionally destroy the middle class. It was a top down strategic decision, and the Dylan Reed story or the Sir James Smith Goldsmith interview you know can explain to you that that is a fact, and that's why I call it a financial coup d'etat, but I think a decision was literally made to liquidate the financial opportunity of an entire generation and the and and it is well known within the university system that these curriculums many of these curriculums are not relevant to what these kids are going to need and the income opportunities are not there for them to pay off the debt in many circumstances so i so would if the, you want to know more about that i would read the financial hitman of student loans
2: financial hitman of student loans that's an article that's on your blog, or you Google it, or what? Uh, if
3: you just do a search. If you just do a search for it, if it, there's an article section on yeah. my website, you can find it through that. Um, okay. Now here's what here's it. what Go young ahead. people can do. The most important thing, if you're a young person, is you want to understand where the economy is going, and you want to make sure that whatever curriculum you study, that you study, you know, you you think of. As yourself as having a toolkit and you want to put into your toolkit those skills and abilities that are absolutely going to be relevant for the future. And um, so think of yourself as you're the guy who's going to design your curriculum and if there's any way you can live at home or work while you're going to school, a lot of kids stay home and go to you know the local university and then if they want a prestigious degree they'll transfer right at the end and just go that last one or two years um so you want to you want to be a very discerning customer when it comes to the knowledge that you get and you want to think when you when you look at the curriculum that you're taking as a young person you want to you want to literally do a learning plan for what you're going to need given what you want to do and then you want to say how can i spend my money on education in a way that saves me time and makes me money and you can't assume that you can just go into a university and things are going to work it's a it's a predators market in in the educational world now.
2: Mm. Okay, so if you were advising a nephew or a daughter, whomever, in your family, and you, that's the overview you just gave, what would be steps one, two, and three in terms of where the economy is going? How, you know, how does the average person know where to access that? How do they? Okay,
3: have- so the first thing I would do. <laughs> Actually what I would do is I'd get them 'cause you you as a you and your crew have a complimentary subscription to the Solari Report. So I'd yeah. get them on the Solari Report and I would uh we just did uh equity overview view from Silicon Valley and mm-hmm. we we do a lot, uh that one in particular on what are the types of new areas of technology which are gonna create the most value for investors. Mm-hmm. Um, so we look at fabrication technology, we look at robotics, we look at material sciences, and and I would uh, take a very serious look at what's happening in the area, in all those areas of technology, particularly as they affect manufacturing and agriculture and mm-hmm. energy, and see which ones inspire you. If you have the inclination to become an engineer, uh, it's going to be fantastic. The, I was in Switzerland two years ago, and one of the activists I bumped into at a conference said he had a grant from the Office of Naval Intelligence to work in minority uh, 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 minority neighborhoods to inspire young people to become robotics engineers. They estimated they needed 400,000 robotics engineers in the next mm. 10 years. Mm. Now, all of this, all of the, you know, the first thing I would do then is I would, um, O'Reilly has an uh a wonderful magazine called Make Magazine, and I would go to their website and find the website for Maker Faires. Do you know what a Maker Faire is? No, 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 wait a no. minute. Just go back. Who has the magazine? O'Reilly, O'Reilly Publishing has a magazine called Make Magazine. and Make, um, M-A-K-E, they've, M-A-K-E, M-A-K-E magazine. and And they started a... And it's really an explosion It's happening all over the world. They're called maker fairs f a i r e like the old the like the medieval fair where yeah. people get together and teach each other how to do all these things. So how do you take the new fabrication technology such as three d printers um mm-hmm. and and make things for yourself because if you look at the explosion in technology, we're literally coming to the point where you know, we'll be able to get together in shared spaces and make our own cars and make our own manufactured goods. We'll have the tools. Mm. So wow. um, so what I would do if I was a young person is, and you're interested in this kind of stuff, get yourself to the – find out what the maker fairs are going to be in the New York area and get yourself to a maker fair. Um, but I, I would absolutely plug into what's the technology, uh, you know, that is exploding right now and where is it going to go.
2: Captain Austin Fitz, this is fantastic.
1: Wow, well, so, that's good. you is got
2: <laughs> this is stuff you're coming off the top of your head. Ding, 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 ding. But I know I never heard that, and, and I have grandchildren. I have uh, a very close associate, and he's involved in solar energy. And uh,
3: uh-huh.
2: he's been doing uh, coming, moving back and forth between here and an uh on various projects as you can get those and
0: um,
3: right. This
2: fits right in. Right. And the so uh body- the,
3: what's happening with solar technology? You know, the price of solar is coming down, down, down. It's a little bit like the microchip, and yeah. we're looking at a at a situation in a couple of years when you know solar energy is going to become unbelievably competitive. And now, in fact, there's no reason if you're living in the city and you have the time and inclination. You can't start figuring out how to use solar just to lower your water heating bill. Hmm. So, uh, yeah, the the opportunities in breakthrough energy are are definitely going to be there.
2: This is fantastic. I want to thank you very very much. And um, well, uh, let me see. We have we have about three more minutes. The telephone number here is two one three. I'm enjoying the classroom, ladies and gentlemen. I have no problem asking questions. This is a learning process for me. And these are, well, for everybody who's listening, this is very, very valuable information. 213 943 3618. 213 943 3618. You have the opportunity of asking the last question here on the Keys 107 network. And this show is archived. So you can advise people who didn't get a chance to listen to it to plug in later on tonight, tomorrow morning, and uh, they'll have the benefit of this. And, and hey, you know, they can help their families. Two one three nine four three three six one eight. As we look at um, one other thing, what was what was the whole purpose of uh, NAFTA? Um in terms of the jobs moving out? of the country moving out of New York and that that was something that had to be known would happen. Yes. What's
0: the ultimate and NAFTA
3: was not the the one that had the big impact. I would listen to the Sir James Goldsmith interview against Sir James oh, okay. Goldsmith in okay. nineteen ninety four talking with Charlie Rose. The big impact was the uh Uruguay round of GATT, the general agreement on tariff and trade and what we did was we basically reengineered the rules so that so that labor could be competed globally and of course what everyone knew and you know when that went into effect beginning 1995 was that incomes were going to drop dramatically that's why the sudden increase in all the mortgage and and consumer and student loan debt was so evil because we knew that we were doing something at the same time that was going to dramatically Reduce incomes. Um, The one thing I wanted to mention, uh, one other opportunity is going to be uh, auto mechanics. We saw three states uh, in 2012 adopt laws that within a reasonably short period of time will let cars on the road that drive themselves. So imagine going to the airport and instead of having to pay for parking, you just tell your car to go home without you. (laughs) And so the... The car is going to become a networked online um, entity, and how your car relates with information from the network is going to change dramatically. Your car on the highways are going to be online, and it's quite dramatic the change that's coming. And, um, it's you know, it's going to change a lot the nature of how cars get taken care of and the mechanics, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So it's another area to look in if you're a young person, quite interesting. Fantastic. Well,
2: Catherine, I thank you very, very much for your sharing. And this is in tune with the higher uh, uh, activity in the universe or that's ordained for people to share information. Yes, you do have a business. And, of course, when you do these kind of good deeds, it does bring attention to your website and, and uh-huh. at least good wishes from us. Uh, give all the pertinent information as to your website, websites, your blog, etc. as we conclude.
3: Okay. I, my, my blog is uh, Solary.com. We regularly write articles and do radio shows. And, uh, in fact, we have a new article coming out. Check in on the blog next Tuesday. It's the, uh, called Coming Clean Beyond the Fiscal Cliff, and it's to help people understand the sort of deeper issues on the fiscal cliff, Debate, which is far from over. Beware the Ides of March. We have a big fight coming on the debt ceiling. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I publish something called the Solari Report, which is a subscription service, and then I'm also an investment advisor. But the interesting thing about me is if you look at all the people I deal with, they all uh, they range from people who are homeless who read me from the public library to people who mm-hmm. are worth fantastic amounts of money, and what you discover is rich or poor, they all believe in freedom.
4: <laughs> mm-hmm.
3: So we kind of divide up between the pro-centralization team and the pro-decentralization team, and everybody that I'm in cahoots with is on the pro-decentralization team, and I consider you a member in great standing because the most important thing we need to to make a, a shift is we need for our minds to be free and healthy, and I think, Brother Leroy, that's what you're doing. You're helping us achieve that. Beautiful. Captain, I want
2: to thank you very much and we sincerely ask God to continue to bless you and your
3: family, and we look forward to another uh, interview with you very soon. God bless you. Have a great evening. Okay, good night.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for your support in this first segment of the communicators as part of the Keys 107 Network. Remember, pass the information on that there is The Keys 107 Network On blogtalkradio.com There are many other programs That we have here That are of help And benefit to each and every member Within your family or relative So what you do is you go to the website And you just cherry pick around And you see what's on And you plug in You will not be disappointed So we'll be back with our second And concluding segment It is with Dr. Edward Bruce And we're going to be discussing aspects of this book, Dark Light Consciousness, Melanin, Serpent Power, and the Luminous Matrix of Reality. And I'll be joined in the interview with Sister Mayotte, and she'll be uh, asking questions right along with me. So stay tuned. We'll be right back.
6: The Keys. Unlocking the doors to unlimited possibilities. Keys 107 and the FOI Board of Directors is proud to present The Final Call. The Final Call is the country's unique leading source for news. Founded by the Honorable Louis Farrakhan National Representative of the Most Honorable Elijah Muhammad In the Nation of Islam The final call follows in the tradition of Muhammad Speaks With hard-hitting national and international news And coverage of political issues It is the official communications organ of the Nation of Islam Can find one of the beautifully bow-tied representatives in your community or read finalcall.com. The Keys is proud to announce the communicators airing Saturdays at 7 p.m. with your host, Brother Leroy. Broadcasting from the heart of Harlem, USA.
2: Okay, ladies and gentlemen, this is a very exciting second segment as well as the first one filled with information. And we're going to get an insight into psychology, psychiatry, the roots of it being, according to our Guest author, Africa itself, and we're going to be dealing with Melanin. What is serpent power, and what is the luminous matrix of reality, and how does that relate to the average everyday person that many of us are? Well, to explain that is our guest, Dr. Edward Bruce Spinum. God bless you, my brother.
7: God bless you. It's good to be uh, able to talk tonight on the communicators to touch people. Uh, different walks of life, wherever they might be right now. I'm glad they tuned in, and I hope this is uh, a useful and enlightening time we're going to have together. Well, I tell you,
2: uh, Brother uh, Bynum, uh, having interviewed you before and gotten into the subject matter of the roots of psychiatry and psychology as we experience it today and getting an appreciation for our past as a people, but also getting an appreciation of, your graphs on psychiatry as it's uh, practiced today, but with your appreciation for African traditions and Indian traditions, it is uh, both informative and heartwarming that there is a person like you helping people from all walks of life as you do in Massachusetts. So let's get into dark light consciousness in our Co-interviewer will be Sister Maya And i just start out with a basic question What led you to doing this particular book Dark, Light, Consciousness What are we talking about in terms of dark energy Dark matter And uh, the untapped energy or spirituality Within every person who's listening to this program today
7: Well... Uh, For me, this is actually a continuation of my life's uh, work. I I Professionally, uh, for a financial living, I'm I'm a regular doctor, regular clinical psychologist uh, at the University of Massachusetts Health Services, where I do, uh, really, I see patients hour after hour in different kinds of uh, of clinical practices, including uh, hypnosis and biofeedback and and, uh, brief therapy and, and so on. The other part of my work is uh, my own uh, spiritual work and those two go hand-in-hand hand with me and they change hands and they cross-fertilize each other. And So this, this last book is a continuation of the book that we had worked on earlier called uh, The African Unconscious and this is a further elaboration uh, but in a different direction and this is working on the actual mechanics, the actual physical and psychological mechanics of the spiritual process. For me, the, the title "Dark Light Consciousness" is is a, a reflection of the of the reality that we all have a, 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 a potential, all of us, those listening right now, uh, to uh, activate a personal connection to that level of of consciousness that we call the super consciousness. That's beyond our our traditional uh, waking state uh, consciousness, and the phenomenon the technique the methodology for that was discovered at least 8000 years ago uh in ancient uh, uh Kemet um ancient Egypt and spread across the seas uh to India and then spread across to other parts of the uh the world but it comes out of that ancient uh tradition and in ancient India it was referred to as the kundalini and in ancient uh Chimedic-Egyptian text, it was referred to as the Uraeus. And all of you listening right now know what this is implicitly because every time you go to a a doctor's office, a physician's office, you see that medical caduceus, that staff with the two uh, serpents entwined on it. That is a symbol, that is an ancient symbol of the process of spiritual awakening. And and if you notice, in every tradition, not only the Western tradition, um, but the world's tradition, it coils seven times seven times around a pole until it reaches the top where it takes where it turns into wings. The serpents turn into wings and take flight. That's a spirit that is a symbol, a direct historical, anthropological and biospiritual symbol of the spiritual process, from our roots in the spinal column and the energies moving around the spinal column up to the top to where one is finally awakened and when the spirit is liberated and one Sprouts wing once takes flight, so implicitly everybody here, everybody's listening right now, participates in that every time you attend to a physician's office or some variation on a theme like this. So it's buried deep in the culture, but it, it's it's you know it's hidden right out in public.
2: And when I project that the the book in in. Getting past uh the terms and whatnot, if I were to narrow it down, deals with the untapped spiritual force of an individual, understanding it and unlocking that. how close am I to you
7: are right on you are right on you are right on the money about that because this book, this work is meant to be explicitly methodology, how to hands on and so because I have a, uh, a physiological and psychological and medical background uh, in my training, I, I was at pains to ground everything in solid uh, medicine, psychology, and uh, other branches of science so that we're really trying to catch up in science today what our ancient forefathers knew eight to 10,000 years ago. We're trying to catch up. To to, to to reach the point where they were. Because we us talking right now, people everybody who's listening right now, we're in a we're in a state of consciousness called the ego state consciousness. Waking good, solid, reality oriented waking state consciousness. But when we go to sleep at night and we dream, we go to the unconscious level of the mind. Which has been with us since at least uh for two million years. That unconscious level of the mind. But when we are in states of deep meditation, in states of profound religious engagement, in states of inspiration, of insight, of revelation, then we touch every so briefly that level of mind that is above this one, which is the superconscious, not the unconscious below us, but the superconscious above us. And that is where great scientific breakthroughs come: spiritual insight, revelation, and so forth. And this book is about updating. I'm merely updating the ancient methodologies using current scientific language on how that is done. And so I haven't invented anything at all. I've merely translated and mm-hmm. brought it up to date and used our current scientific and medical um, terms to explicate what our ancestors knew and what all of us implicitly know as human beings.
2: Explicate means explain.
7: Explain, yes. Make it make it uh uh clear.
2: Okay, got it. And and just to go back a second, consciousness, unconsciousness, superconsciousness.
1: Are yes.
7: you
2: dealing with three three elements there?
7: You're dealing with three faces, you might want to say, of the same ultimate reality. Are Last night at, say, 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, when you were presumably asleep and perhaps dreaming, you were having a conscious experience, but the consciousness was largely uh, unconscious. Words are tricky here in that you were dealing with uh, magical uh, thinking, dream reality and uh, when it's not illuminated, and one thing became another, past memories, anticipations, anxieties, workday issues, all of that is sort of moving, stirring around in a very fluid kind of way. When you woke up, you were in this state that we are right now, relatively clear, reality-oriented, in that common sense of the word reality. However, if you then went into a meditative state or were engaged in some profound contemplative or spiritual activity, Mm -hmm. you would go into a higher state of consciousness that would be Varying levels of that, but the highest level being the superconscious state. And so dark light consciousness is is essentially a textbook uh, in in layman's ordinary language of how we move from step to step physically, the use of the breath, the use of postures, and how that is backed up by brain science, by medicine, and by, believe it or not, by, by certain areas of physics, particularly quantum mechanics and relativity theory.
2: Beautiful. Uh, Sister Mayat has questions, and uh, Mayat, you can join in at any point.
5: Hello, how are you doing there? Oh, yes, wonderful, brother. I'm very excited about your work, um, and we hope to have you as a continuing guest so you can really lay this out. Uh, I guess what I want to uh, start with is what what I found very interesting is that you, um, I guess on page 160, you give us. The, the symbol That we've always connected to India And that is It's you, it's uh, described as a classical uh, Indian yogic symbol Of the sound vibration arm Which we know people who meditate yes. Talk about the use of that arm But yes. on the next page What's so fascinating Is figure A2 You show us comedic demotic, script yes. For the sound vibration arm So I want you to talk about Because they're practically identical, but the somatic symbol obviously came first many thousands of of years
1: before. So
5: think about that aspect of your
0: work.
7: Well, that aspect of my work uh, is, is, is the part that is the more scholarly part of it in the sense that I was trying to find the clear connection between that primordial sound, that OM sound, and where that comes from and it turns out that you are right that most of the time we think of that as coming from india and their uh uh particular script shows a particular figure that is it's called a devanagari indian yoga symbol uh but its a particular script in india that that sound represents okay and so I, I was studying that and i was also studying uh, the work of ancient uh writers uh, and, 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 and those uh savants of ancient india and i came across a uh the the ancient script in Chimetic egypt it's called the demotic script very very quickly there are three scripts in ancient uh egypt the hieroglyphic script which is the the uh uh image uh, writing, which we're mostly familiar with. There's a hierarchic script, and there is what's called a demotic script, and they came at different historical periods. Well, the the demotic script has the symbol that is extremely, extremely, extremely close to the ancient Hindu-Indian script of that sound. And in that particular passage where that uh, ancient Kemetic-Egyptian Symbol is Shown, is mentioned They are talking about The name of God
4: mm-hmm. They are
7: talking about the sound That represents the name of God
8: mm-hmm. And it
7: was uh, uh, First written down By the Shem Shihor, the, the, the The shining ones Of 10,500 BC And then it survived uh, The ages And when it came down eventually To that script That is The image and the symbol that they showed for the sound of Om, the name of God. And then it was later transported, with some slight variations, to Dravidian, that's dark-skinned southern India, Hmm. through the trade routes and everything else. But it is the same primordial sound, because we're the same human beings all over the earth. We have the same voice box. We have the same nervous systems. We have the same... Urge to merge with the divine milieu. And so here's that ancient symbol from that long ago, going through many different changes, but first emerging from the human, vast human unconscious in ancient Africa, particularly Kemetic Egypt, and then flowing to different parts of the world. So I was struck by that and the profound uh, closeness and similarity to that. Again, it's ancient Kemetic Egypt and then eventually Vedic India, and then it spreads. From there to the rest of the world. Hmm. Mm-hmm.
5: Uh Brother, I'm wondering if um, you give a lot of exercises in the book, and you know, it's, it's sort of a hands-on type of approach. Yes,
7: it is. I, I tried to do that very explicitly because I wanted folks to not only have a you know a, 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 an intellectual act, you know inter- understanding of this, but I wanted folks to like bring this into their bodies, into our physical bodies. And, Realization, enlightenment, and the worship of God is a bodily process. It's not a head trip; it is a bodily process if you go to a if you go to an african American church when the preacher is moved, he is moved, and i mean moved physically moved, and when the spirit moves from person to person, you can feel yeah. it so yes. the worship of God is a bodily experience in ancient West Africa and in modern West Africa, those who are uh pervaded. By the spirit, by the loa. it is a physical process that you know is misunderstood in the West as "quote possession" unquote, but that's mm-hmm. just propaganda. Mm-hmm. The reality of it is, it is it is the living, personal, in the deepest sense of the word, personal engagement with the divine. The divine enters one's body, so well, it is the bodily I'm, worship of the living God. And I so, I try to do that in this book to show specifically. How the breath is used, how the body is used, how the different bodily functions and locks of the body are used, and it's a very yogic uh, tradition that comes out of ancient Kemetic Egypt and and uh, in India. So you're right about that. It's, it's a very hands-on, easy to understand, but substantiated with by medicine and science.
5: And I'm just wanting you to um, perhaps make this somewhat interactive in that not anything over long, very short, but if you can come up with a little uh short exercise that we can all participate in and give us some sense of what your offerings are. And also mention that African proverb that you include in the in the book that I thought was so interesting. Which one was that? The African have... proverb when you pray, move your your feet. Oh, when uh, you pray,
7: move your feet, yes. Yeah. Yes, it's true.
5: Well, okay. Uh,
7: we can Let's take a few minutes and do that. Uh, I, I ask uh, uh, if you are driving a car right now or you are a passenger in a car not to do this. Okay, I just want to say that real clear. If you are driving a car right now or a passenger in a car and you have some responsibility for being focused and direct, uh, please do not engage in this. All right? So you would just take a minute to sit Comfortably, not lay down flat because there's a tendency to go to sleep, but sit uh, comfortably. You don't have to be sitting in a cross-legged position, but sit comfortably. Make sure your lower back is supported. Make sure your shoulders are relaxed. And make sure your head is tilted in a very comfortable way. As odd as it may seem, relax your jaw and begin to pay a little bit more attention to your breathing. In particular, easy, quiet breathing. It doesn't have to be deep, but pay attention to your breathing and begin to pay a little bit more attention to the exhalation phase of the breathing cycle. If you can breathe diaphragmatically from the diaphragm, the stomach, that would be great. If not, chest or thoracic breathing is fine. Breathe slow, moderate, not super deep, and pay a little bit more attention to the exhalation phase of the breathing cycle. Each time we inhale, our heart rate increases just a little bit, but... Each time we exhale, our heart rate slows down a little bit. And so by focusing on the exhalation phase of the breathing cycle, you slow down your heart rate a little bit each time. You also cause your blood vessels to dilate a little bit, which means they expand a little bit, which means there's a little bit more blood flow. In essence, that means the surface of the body gets a little warmer. And eventually extend the exhalation a little bit more than the inhalation so that you can feel it. Sometimes people will feel their heart rate in their neck or throat, which is fine. And now as odd as it may seem, on the exhalation phase, as odd as it may seem, relax your eyes the muscles in the eyes. Defocus the eyes. And the way to do that on the exhalation phase is simply pay attention to the physical space, the actual physical space behind your eyes as you exhale. You're relaxing the ocular muscles behind the eyes as you exhale. Exhale behind the Right eye, the curved, dark space behind your right eye. And then the warm, dark space behind your left eye on the exhalation. Extend the exhalation. And then eventually, as odd as it may seem, relax your tongue. The tongue is a muscle. We're constantly moving it around to shape the air, to make sound, language, and so forth. But it's a muscle. When you let your tongue relax, let it go slack in your mouth, you naturally relax your jaws. The temporal mandibular joints on both sides, but you relax your jaw. When you relax your tongue, Eventually, your tongue feels as relaxed and at ease as your eye muscles do in the eye sockets. You know it's beginning to happen when there's a little bit more activity, salivary activity underneath your tongue. You can Feel the saliva increasing underneath your tongue as you let your tongue go limp all the way into the throat. And exhale down to the center of your throat. Exhale down below your collarbone. Down into the center of the chest. Down below the heart. Down into the center of the ribcage. And finally into the center of your stomach. And just... Stay there a moment. Don't have to go anywhere or do anything or solve any problem. Just there. And you're aware that you could expand this radically, significantly, but you don't need to do that right now. You just want to put your small foot into the water, knowing the water is... Potentially extraordinarily deep You're just on the shore You don't have to go there now
5: uh, Thank you for that um, I I noticed that your first chapters And this is a book, brothers and sisters That you have to pick up And read over and over Because okay? that's the way you're going to get it But the first chapters deal with the brain, explaining about the different parts of the brain, and something you call neuromelanin.
4: Yeah.
5: Now, how many of us knew the importance? We know about the melanin on our skin as African descendants, and everybody has it, even so called white folks. So, to sort of walk us through the importance of the brain. You talk about the pineal gland, the eye. So, bring in neuromelanin. And explain to us this first aspect of your book, well, in the first chapter, I wanted to lay out
7: the the medical the physiological uh background basis of the our later spiritual process because our spiritual process begins right there in our mother's womb. there is a few hours after parents join together, and there's the conception there is a Massive uh cells tissue that begin that that small blastula and that goes on for a while then after a f- um less than a few days week at the most that begin that ball continues to grow and then it begins to elongate so it's no longer a ball it begins to be like a line and then over. Weeks and weeks that line gets longer and longer and it begins to develop into the first early stages of the fetus. And then on through what's called embryogenesis or our journey in our mother's womb, we have we evolve until we're eventually a whole child, infant, neonate. Well, what guides that development, what guides that unfoldment is a biochemical and spiritual process that absorbs light and then transduces that light into higher, more complex states of manifestation. More complex states of matter. What absorbs that is a phenomenon called melanin. Because melanin is dark, it absorbs light. It absorbs photons. It absorbs them and transduces or changes them from one state to another. I know I'm vastly simplifying this process, but I want to get the basic idea down, that it begins to absorb light and then transduce it into different forms over time. And they eventually become our organs, our glandular system, and so on and and so forth. But it's guided by that light that absorbs, that is being absorbed and transduced, and that is melanin. After a Uh, a few weeks, the first stages of that long tube, it's called a a, a neural tube, a little bulb at the end of it develops. And that bulb continues and continues and continues and eventually begins to be the first outlines of the human brain. And then over time, that dark light that absorbs it Unfolds in embryogenesis, it's a medical phenomenon, an anatomical medical phenomenon, and it develops into different organs, the different parts of our brain, and so on and so forth. And by the time we are physically born, we are not only a fully evolved being physically, but we also have all of our systems in place. We are incredibly vulnerable when we come out of our mother's womb, but we are already conscious. And from then on, we, we are, our development continues outside of the protection of our mother's womb. I want to emphasize something right here, though, that it's not only guided by melanin, but that uh, when the melanin is in the brain, it is a different form of melanin. It is not the same, underlined, is not the same as the melanin on the surface of the skin, which is variable, but rather it is internal. Therefore, brain or neuro melanin, neuro or brain melanin, and that guides our mental and brain development if everything goes right on up to the time they were uh, adults but we when we're first born physically born we are already conscious in other words
2: it's not, we, when you say we're already conscious explain that
7: when i say conscious i mean when a when a baby is born it is not it is already uh it is already experiencing some awareness. It is not unconscious. It is experiencing okay. some sort of awareness. And that awareness is, happens, it is conscious before it is physically born. So we are conscious before we are physically born on the one end and on the other end of our, of our life or hopefully a long life when we are physically, when we physically die we are still conscious for a while. That's what a near-death experience is. Mm. We've had millions of people who've had the experience of being clinically dead and resuscitated, mm. and they come back with different experiences that they were conscious. So you see, mm. we are conscious prior to birth, and we are mm-hmm. conscious after we are dead. So the beginning mm-hmm. of life and the end of life, physical, is not, or I should say the beginning of of life by birth and the end of life by like clinical death is not the same as the beginning of our consciousness or the end of our consciousness. Hmm. Okay, know, I, we're getting
2: it, ready to go to a commercial break. I'm I'm going to run back to you uh part of what you just said in my words that consciousness that the baby is the, the child the child or the well that which is in the mother's womb is conscious means that is picking up information and processing information.
7: Yes, we don't know when that begins, but they are, by the time that they are born, you betcha, they're doing it. They, okay. Under okay. certain conditions, you can remember. Under certain conditions, you can remember your birth and coming to the birth canal.
2: Yes, and there is. Uh, there's a body of knowledge that taps into that that's yeah. current right now. Yeah. And, okay, all right. So, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to get black up in here with you. You have the opportunity to ask your questions now. But this is not the end commercial, I mean, excuse me, interview. This is the beginning interview because this is a great class. What you have to do is get a hold of the book Dark Light Consciousness by Dr. Edward Bruce Bynum, B-Y-N-U-M. And when we come back with him on subsequent interviews, you'll be able to ask questions on this chapter, that chapter, this concept, etc. But we'll be right back with your questions, if you so happen after these announcements. Thank you for listening to the Keys 107 Network. We'll be right back.
6: The key. the key unlocking the unlocking doors the to door unlimited door. possibility.
4: culture
6: We look out for those shut down, shut in, or shut out
0: This black culture demand. We
6: save our homes. The, the,
0: the black culture demand. We
6: keep track of our spending habits. This
0: is the new black culture demand
5: culture We prepare
6: for an unseen Black culture demand. We keep the peace. culture <laughs> We have respect for life. Black culture demand. We speak creatively. The
4: <laughs> culture We open doors. culture
6: <laughs> We rebuild our community.
5: culture <laughs> We teach the children
6: the truth.
5: The New Black Culture demand. We
6: join on to the Black Diaspora. The, the, the,
5: the new black
4: culture we
6: communicate. The, 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 the
4: new black culture
6: we listen to the keys 107 on Vlog Talk Radio.
3: of the keys was brought to us
6: by Rafika Consultants and Services LLC. Rafika Consultants and Services LLC is on the cutting edge of emerging technologies for designing online classes and providing face-to-face and virtual technology training or help with computer programs, web design, and graphic arts. We also provide biography writing services for websites, for more information, give us a call at 631-399-0149. That's 631-399-0149. The Keys is proud to announce The Communicators airing Saturdays at 7 p.m. with your host, Brother Leroy. From the heart of Harlem, U.S.A. Don't forget, every Saturday, 7 p.m. The Communicator with your host, Brother Leroy, on the Keys Minute.
2: All right, ladies and gentlemen, a very, very fit coming back in music, uh, Soul Makosa, and this is The Communicators. I'm Brother Leroy, our guest online. is Dr. Edward Bruce Bynum, and we are co-interviewing here with Sister Mayat. She's the other voice. She's the feminine voice on this program, this segment, and we're talking about Dr. Bruce Bynum's I'm sorry Dr. Edward Goosesteinner's dark light consciousness is' paperback and it's available through amazon and you are advised to get this book. It is because every book that we we uh where we interview someone on this show we go through these books we look at them, and what is most important is that the body of knowledge within these books can help you in your continuing quest to educate yourself. Um, Les Brown, in a presentation, the motivational speaker, some years ago, he said if you read read a book a month in a particular subject area, you can become an expert at the end of the year. Well, we may not advise you to become an expert in any particular area, but if you read this book, you're going to be much wiser in terms of your own untapped spiritual power. Doctor Bruce uh Bynum, I want to go back to the the um oh, you didn't you didn't answer that uh, question that Sister Mayat or elaborate on, the African proverb when you pray, move your feet.
7: Yes, that, that refers when you pray it's an old African proverb. And what it refers to is the particular and unique uh African continental and, and a diaspora. Way of engaging the divine is that you move. It is con- sometimes done by ecstatic dance, mm-hmm. sometimes it's done by uh, group ritual. But the point is, it is, it is a movement of engagement and, and, and inviting the living God into the physical body itself. And that is a that is different than the predominant ones, say in Europe and um, uh, the predominant one in Northern Asia. Not southern Asia. In India, there is a long tradition of engagement of the divine through uh, rhythm and dance. Uh, But in particular, it it is most highly evolved in southern India and throughout Africa and the African diaspora. And that's why we have our traditions in West Africa in particular that have been so influential in the Caribbean and so forth, is of of God being a, a, a living animated force that you become engaged with. So that's where that proverb comes from. And exactly,
2: and, and what what prevents a person from understanding that is that we've been brought up in a Western context of getting on your knees and praying. So why would I move my feet when I'm on my knees exactly. praying? Exactly,
4: exactly.
2: Whereas our original culture is one of expressing prayer through various actions. Uh, if we're sick, we, we can pray on our side, but if we're... You know, if we're well, then there are different expressions of praying, even harvesting food and whatnot. Yes,
7: Uh, absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Including, including, I might add, the way that we sometimes control our breathing process. It's very subtle. It's very subtle. But if you learn how to do that, if you learn how to do that, you are constantly communing with the divine. And that's a pretty good place to be in. Not only when you are awake, but since we're breathing when we sleep, you're also doing that when you are sleeping. And then you're doing it in deep sleep beyond dreaming.
2: That's why and a baby looks so beautiful when they're sleeping. There is, It's not the beauty of the baby as such. I'm dealing with what we're not conscious of.
8: Uh-huh. I'm
2: just reading into what you're saying, that they are they are one with the universe.
7: Yes, they are. They are not. They are not dissociated from it. They are not put off by it. They are not alienated from it. We are. We in our many of us in our present adult state, we're we're alienated from light itself. We're alienated. We feel alienated from light. We feel estranged from infinity. But when we are at one atonement, when we are one with the divine, we are one with the infinite, and it is a yes. it is a literal experience. It is it is it is a tacit physiological, psychological, and emotional engagement. and That's what dark light consciousness is about. It's about laying out the steps, the physiological steps of using the breath, using the body, using the mind, using different levels of the mind to engage with that. Everybody who's listening already tacitly knows this. It's just a matter of remembering.
2: Mm-hmm. Dr. Edward Bruce Bynum is our guest, ladies and gentlemen. You have the opportunity to call in 213-943-3618, 213-943-3618. Hit number one on your telephone keypad. That lets our engineer know that you have a question. I'm going to along with Sister Myatt. We're asking Dr. Edward Bruce Bynum questions regarding his new book, Dark Light Consciousness which is actually a a guide to tapping into the untapped spiritual power that you have. Now, uh, Dr. Edward Bruce Bynum, it's easy for some of us to say untapped spiritual power, but there are those of us who that is, um, we we don't see ourselves as having spiritual power. Uh, We see, quote, God. Outside of ourselves, having that power, and therefore it's sacrilegious to even get into my untapped spiritual power. How can but we bridge the understanding there?
7: We can bridge the understanding there by taking what the living what Jesus Christ said seriously <laughs> by taking what he said seriously, and he said, "The kingdom of heaven." ...is within you. Jesus Christ said, The kingdom of heaven is within you. Jesus Christ said, Ye are gods. This is what the living Jesus Christ said. Not what his interpreter said. This is what he said. And you come through the Father through me. This is what he said. Unfortunately, much of the priesthood arose first to interpret and transmit the word of the living God, which is fine. But later on, there began to be barriers between the divine and the people. And unfortunately, much of that remains today. So if if a priest or a preacher is doing their job correctly what they're doing is they're helping you realize the living one within yourself. And helping you, helping you realize the living one within yourself, but more importantly, uh, to recognize that the living one is in all of your states of consciousness. And so that what the dark light consciousness is about is not only recognizing that in our waking ego state, but also recognizing that that dwells within us when we are sleeping and dreaming. And how to recognize that, and also how to ratify that in states of consciousness beyond waking and, and dreaming, but states of higher consciousness, because there are levels above, just as like there are levels below us, our unconscious and so on and so forth, there are levels of consciousness above our waking consciousness that we all have access to, and that we periodically all of us, all of us, touch, yes. and we're having moments of inspiration, mm-hmm. moments of insight moments of profound clarity moment mm-hmm. of emotional resonance when we are profoundly moved by something we are we are touching the outer rim of that just the outer rim of that and the even touching the outer rim of that is often not only exhilarating but exhausting so by entering fully into the spiritual process we have to be fully together attuned to do that you cannot bring 600 Watts through a 60 watt bulb right?
2: mm-hmm. Okay. So
7: so the spiritual process means Changing the bulb Literally from a 60 watt Regular good old 60 watt bulb Into one that can sustain Higher and higher frequencies And that is what the spiritual process is In every tradition In Africa, India, Europe, South America They're all variations on a theme and But the template of that Was laid down by our forefathers in ancient Kemetic Egypt, ten thousand five hundred years B.C., the time of Zep Tepi, or Mm -hmm. the the splendid time of the first time when the when the Sphinx is looking Sphinx, the the lion-headed, the the lion-bodied creature with the head of a man is looking into the constellation of Leo the Lion Mm -hmm. on the vernal equinox. Ten thousand five hundred b c that is how far back it goes okay
2: so. with Bynum, we have a caller on the line caller. Thank you for your participation. Your question
0: am I the caller
2: yes ma'am you you you're loud and clear
0: okay great um that's by thank you so much. This has been so interesting i'm I'm caught up testing and listening, but my question is when you say Movement, like for instance, if a person is going through their day to day, and maybe they, um, you know, hear music, possibly gospel or any music, and they're moved to a spirit that's bigger than them, could that really be possible? You know, you get inspired through music, you moving your feet. You know, and you kind of want to. You're full of joy, and you you know that it's something, but you just don't know why. You're not sad. You you're more happy, but you're more in a feeling of thankfulness, even though things are you know not perfect. But you're just always feeling thankful. Is is that part of this consciousness?
7: That is part of that. That is part of that consciousness. And what I'm trying to say, in, in, a, in a very gentle way, is that that can be radically amplified. That can be radically amplified when you're when you're talking about moving through the day, and something moves you, and your your heart opens up a little bit. Uh, that is kind of like a, 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 a the, that, that 60 watt bulb. But when you are in a state of profound engagement with the living spirit, it is a hundred watts or or 200 watts. And then when you are when you've entered into whatever spiritual Discipline that, that 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 speaks to you, and there are many different different spiritual disciplines, but underneath they have the same anatomy and physiology, because we all have the same anatomy and physiology. Wow. when you enter into it and you train yourself because it, you have to train yourself, I mean it's not free, you have to train yourself, but if you sufficiently do, you are capable of sustaining a thousand watts coming through hmm. and that's those are states of illumination and realization. And I try in dark light consciousness to lay out the stages of that and how to also prepare one's body and one's nervous system to sustain that because otherwise it's exhausting. We have to be honest about that. It's exhausting. But you, would, you wouldn't ask an athlete uh, uh, you know, to go out and run a, a four-minute mile if they are grossly overweight, they're smoking and everything else, mm-hmm. but you would get them into a discipline. Wouldn't that might take mm-hmm. a number of years? But eventually, mm-hmm. they would be able to do the race. Mm-hmm. It's the same with our spiritual process. It mm-hmm. takes energy and it takes time and it takes commitment. It's not mm-hmm. free.
0: Not free, brother, brother Leroy. Um, will you be will you be bringing the great doctor for a forum to New York anytime soon?
2: <laughs> <laughs> you know, doctor with Bruce Bynum. The first time I saw him was at a forum. Third world, first world, first world. And um, we'll have to talk about that because what you have to offer and uh, call your your idea of bringing him where we can do face to face and and actually tap into uh, his knowledge is, is something that's uh, that has to be done. So we'll find out how to do that and um, get back to you. Of course, I want to thank Sister Mayat for actually getting a hold of the book, and then bringing him to our attention and being a partner in questioning him. So, Carl, I want to thank you, thank you. for that recommendation. Dr. Bruce Bynum, um when we talk about uh, this high spirituality, there are individuals who are born with with um, what we would say gifted. They're gifted. They can see. They can pick up they can they can see that's that's the old folks saying they can see, meaning they can pick up on things going on in another part of the city or even the country
5: born with a veil
2: uh, I'm sorry
5: it's also called the older folks used to say born with a veil
2: well, the veil is is an actual um veil that they're oh, born really? with. Yeah, it's an actual veil, and and uh, Doc, if you know about that, you can expand on it. But my understanding is that they peel it away from the baby's uh, baby's face. The call. And, uh, okay, C A U uh, L D.
7: I think it's C U C A U L, I believe. C A U L. But in, in any of it. But anyway, yeah. Great. But uh, that that that's a uh, that's a. It mm-hmm. is true that there are uh, individuals. Uh, who come into this world who are gifted with a spiritual uh, insight and or I should say that the the openness or the receptivity greater for spiritual insight just as like there are people who with a greater capacity for athleticism a greater capacity for music yes. Um, yes. and so but it can be trained yes. and it can be trained and particularly the spiritual process can be trained and part of that is. Um, taking care of one's physical body. You and I have talked about this before. We're not talking about anything radical. We're just talking about being mindful about what we eat and how we sleep and how we take care of ourselves because those are all the basics. Those are all like the foundations because you you can't build a great structure if you have a lousy foundation. That's why food and and good relations with people uh, in the the early stages of uh, do no harm are all very important. It's not just uh, being a goody-two-shoes. That has a a, a physiological and an evolutionary point because when the spiritual process is is really awakened and it begins to move, it is possible for it, because the energies are are, are enormous, to turn back upon itself. You don't want Mm -hmm. that to happen. So that is why you have to prepare yourself. Turn
2: back back upon itself. Explain that. Uh,
7: There are times when... uh, uh, a person is developing certain uh, spiritual capacities and it's it very intoxicating and it and it's it very powerful and then some if a person's mind is not in consciousness is not focused correctly it becomes. they turn it back and they say well how can i make myself lord over people how can i right. uh uh hmm. take this city it's called a city siddhi in uh in uh in india and africa's got other names but it it's a it's a twisting of that um power Yes. For earthly things, that yes. this is this is a whole other discussion. But that's how the empires of, of medieval Africa fell on the west coast. They reached a very high level of spiritual uh, evolution in their in their um, populations, but not high enough, and they turned it, and it turned upon them. Hmm. And so, and that's what led to the fall, in many ways, of the decay of some of those West African empires. Many people think that that uh, the slave trade began because um the Europeans somehow came in and conquered them. Nonsense. Those civilizations were in decline. Mm. And so they were they were very vulnerable at that particular time. And there's a lot of, of uh of um dark magic so to speak that was used. And so that is how this process can be turned back upon itself. So that's why it's so important about non harm, about community engagement about uh, preparing oneself, and about recognizing your own shortcomings, your own foibles, your own unconscious. Mm. So very, very, very important. And because there is an underside to it. So that's why part of the name dark light consciousness. Because when the spiritual process starts moving, it can be very intoxicating. Look around the world. Look around the world today. Look at how many people... With a who have been, who've been uh, stimulated spiritually, can then be take that energy of a spiritual process and use it as a rationalization to do enormous harm to other people.
5: Yeah, 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 That's what
7: that is. That's what uh, that
5: Dr. is. Doctor you seem to be describing the shadow government and the Illuminati, which uh, people like Leroy and myself and we We have some particular interest in charting because they are so deadly and and demonic, if you will well that that those phenomena are out there, and
7: we know about them, and uh we have to be mindful of them because it's very seductive and it's very intoxicating and that is why we have to have a knowledge a self knowledge of ourselves that's why so much yes. of dark light consciousness is talking about not only the superconscious but our own unconscious, the forces that are dark inside of us that we have to be able to recognize so we don't go around and project them onto other people. But to recognize that, oh, that's me. Ooh, Okay, that's me. I have to learn how to harness it. I have to learn how to yoke it. And so that's why our vital energies, our breath, our bodies, our sexual energies, our power energies, all those have to be harnessed to a higher goal. And that goal is the evolution to the superconscious. As I began the book Dark Light Consciousness, you know, um, um, we essentially are uh, evolution is leading us toward the angels. That is what our ultimate evolutionary mm. process is leading us to. We are beings of light trapped in these physical mm. bodies, and e equals mc square. How are we going to return to the beings of light that we inherently are? Dark mm. your
2: book. Pardon me your book allows the average individual to become independent, I'm yes. you know, saying that and as you gain you're not you, you can become independent you can you can actually work with others in in terms of the evolution as as it relates to this book uh, yes. like like minds okay yes. like spirits
7: and you like will always encounter spirits. them you will always encounter them. You will always encounter like spirits. You always draw to yourself like spirits. And, uh, you know, that works both ways. <laughs>
2: yes. Mm. Yes. If you want to go out late at night, you're going to meet some late at night, want to go out late Don't at night you? people. <laughs> you got it.
4: You got it. <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> now, listen, Doc. The um, Okay. If, not if, this knowledge... That you're sharing is known within circles. If there are if there are people who have this capacity, and that's all human beings. But if you have a target group that has this capacity to develop their untapped spiritual power, which is for good, as you as you indicated, that evolution into the angels that. Those beams of light that we're supposed to be to one another If you know, if there's a predator force Predator force that knows that that actually exists If they keep the people poor uh, Without material wealth or keep them in debt And promote bad food to them Then they could short circuit that target groups evolution into the beams of light into the angels that they're they're naturally inclined to be
7: they can slow it down they, go ahead they can slow it down they can't ultimately stop it. I'm an optimist about that. I believe our ultimate trajectory is there, some faster than others, some slower than others, but it's going to that is our that is our process i mean we have come we have come from a from three million years ago. Those little creatures called Australopithecines, we moved up through the Homo sapiens, we are now currently what we are, and further down the road, we are going to be Homo noetis, Raiza cosmica, you know, the, the cosmic race. That is our destiny, that is our that is our ultimate trajectory. I believe this, I feel it, I know this in a way that I can't communicate. Yes. But can it be slowed down, can we be thrown off course? Oh, yes.
8: And periodically,
7: from time to time... Uh, you know, malevolent forces do uh take manage to take control. Do you know that Hitler's inner circle? They were all initiates. They were all initiates of a dark of a very, very uh malevolent path. They knew they studied this. They knew about uh yoga, they knew about the, the uh the twist I, I described in one of the chapters, the different uh channels through which the energy rises from the base of the spine up through the body, and there are quick routes. And there are also routes that don't quite make it. And they go off to the side, although the, the energy moves up very quickly. And they were initiates of this. They were initiates of this. These, 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 these not late-night late night Nazi rallies, in the, mm. uh, moving around with the torch lights and marching and so forth, that was not a random event. They were trying to stimulate certain energies within the earth. Mm. They were trying to tap into that. They knew about it. They really? failed, they failed, but you can see how far they got. Mm. But they were initiates of that.
2: Mm. And and you know we hear about that. We do hear about that. Now uh, is the the symbol that Nazi symbol part of that? Because it says he, he, that
7: that's he he took that symbol, which was an old. Uh, uh, not only Native American, but also Hindu symbol. He didn't create. He didn't create it. He recognized it, and his his malignant genius was to take
5: it and twist it.
7: Take it and twist it. But and and if all... I
5: could add, if I could add something, Doctor Bindon and, and Leroy, is that I have seen in gold uh, a certain part of Africa or ancient Africa. Where that symbol was made into gold was I, yes. I oh, yes.
7: yes it it's it's an archetypal symbol um and it it has uh, it has it, it, it awakens uh power um there and there are a number of symbols out there that are equally powerful uh but the, the, you know this this was his particular twisted uh slant on it, but some of these are biologically i would say biogenetically uh rooted the uh Another symbol that we, we talked about earlier was the medical caduceus is a symbol of the spiritual process. Well, you know yes. another one? is the uh, ancient Egyptian Kemetic Ankh. That yes. is a symbol of the energy mm. rising and then goes into a loop at the top, and that loop represents the energy moving around inside of the brain through certain canals within the brain before mm. it emerges out the top. And I'm in great pains in dark light consciousness to explain medically in addition to symbolically, but also medically and physiologically, where and neurologically where those pathways are, and I'm hoping that that's a contribution mm. to our knowledge. Mm. As I said I'm simply, I'm simply translating what has already been known into contemporary uh, medical, scientific, and physiological and neuroscience language. That's all I'm doing. That's all I'm doing.
2: I'm sorry, Dr. Bynum, we're going to pause for some announcements and we're going to come back with our concluding minutes with you. And uh, once again, the book is Dark Light, Consciousness, Dr. Edward Bruce Bynum, B-Y-N-U-M. It's available through Amazon. You'll also be able to get it through the publisher and we'll be back after these announcements. You have the opportunity to get your questions together before we conclude our great interview with him. 213-943-3618, 213-943-3618. Hey,
6: hey, yo, bring that microphone over here. I want to tell you something. Hey, 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 my name is Bobby, and I've been living homeless on the streets of New York for years. And the only reason why I'm eating out of dumpsters and I'm living without my family is because I lost my keys. Listen to Keys 107 on Blog Talk Radio. Keys 107 and the FOI Board of Directors is proud to present The Final Call. The Final Call is the country's unique leading source for news. Founded by the Honorable Louis Farrakhan, National Representative of the Most Honorable Elijah Muhammad in the Nation of Islam. The final call follows in the tradition of Muhammad Speaks with hard-hitting national and international news and coverage of political issues. It is the official communications organ of the Nation of Islam. can find one of the beautifully bow-tied representatives in your community or read The Keys Network is proud to present live from Harlem, USA, the communicators with your host, Brother Leroy, every Saturday at 7 p.m. following The Keys on Blog Talk Radio Never forget the key, opening doors to endless possibilities.
2: Okay, we're in the concluding minutes with our interview with Dr. Edward Bruce Byham. The book is Dark Light Consciousness. Telephone number 213-943-3618. And you will tap number one on your telephone pad, and that lets our engineer know that you have a question. I want to, uh, before I give it back to the system I ask, the the people who were born with this, 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 uh, uh, overt, uh, spirituality, meaning they can pick up on things, and they can pick up on people's energy you know, like negative energy. If they are working with people, let's say um they're a massage therapist and a person comes in, that person has has quote, they pick up all this energy of the person and they interpret it as a negative energy, how how do they still do their job massaging that individual and how do they do that? How do they quote cleanse themselves after um doing the massage with a person who may have this negative energy?
7: Well and body work, massage is body work, if the person is is well trained, they know how after uh working with someone, how to literally, literally physically cast off that kind of uh negative uh let's say, let's call it a vibratory feel. Um, and 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 there's certain physical uh, mechanisms and mannerisms that they would do to literally cast off that energy. It is it is the same as uh, someone goes to see a um, uh, you 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 go in and you you're a minister and mm. someone comes to you in great uh, pain. Um, they're also upset and angry and feeling violent, but they're also feeling hurt, and it's very complicated. And if you are a true minister, you engage them at the heart level in addition to the head. And then when they leave and the work is over, you have to calm yourself down inside and cast off whatever negative things you may have picked up during that time. Mm-hmm. It is the same if you are a psychotherapist. You have to engage the person who's in a bad way, uh, be with them, and then when they're gone, how to release the negative affect that, that you had, took on because you're empathic and how to release it, and that's that is part of your training, hopefully, of how to do that. And so, yeah. whether it's in body work with a massage therapist, acupuncturist, or it is another form, your training hopefully involves how to detoxify yourself and yeah. and, and and still be of, of of loving service to someone who is coming to you because they are in pain. They're coming to yeah. you because they're in pain, and you've chosen to be in that situation hopefully, because uh, you can help alleviate uh, their pain.
2: Talking mm. about the R-E-U-S-U-S, Re- the energy. The Re- yes,
7: the ureus, yes.
2: How do you pronounce it? Ureus. Ureus. Okay, go ahead.
7: Well, that is that is the ancient Egyptian uh, uh, word and symbol for that uh, kundalini, that, that coiled three and a half times at the base of the spine, uh, energy that, when awakened, moves up through various channels until it reaches uh, the top of the head uh, after going through the brain and the skull and then uh, emerges out the other side in, in, in mm-hmm. the state of, quote, flight or liberation. But mm-hmm. the, the the ancient Kemetic uh, Egyptian word for it was the Uraeus. And in fact, if you see any ancient Egyptian uh, movies, you know, or you even look at... Um, The um, the Ten Commandments and the Pharaoh there he has two urea in his crown. Mm. That's what that is. And the the ancient Egyptian pharaohs or kings uh, in the early days anyway were high initiates. Not maybe not later, but they were part of that. (coughs) That was a symbolic, you know, coming out of the middle of the skull, which is where the pineal gland is. Pineal gland is sensitive to light, and it is even deep in the skull. And that is where the crown chakra uh is rooted, and it goes to the top of the skull, so that that's the physiology of that, that's the neuroscience of that, in addition to the spiritual anatomy of that, which in dark light consciousness, I'm at um, you know I try to go into in considerably more specific detail than we've been able to do tonight. Uh, try to trying to eliminate exactly physically and medically how that happens and where that's located.
5: Hmm. Mr. Myatt. Yes, thank you, uh, Brother Leroy. Uh, Dr. Bynum, if I were to sum up your work, I would say that you, 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 you seem to be saying, or you are saying, that we live in a universe of consciousness, although we're entrained and conditioned to see and to think that we're in a universe of matter. And I want you to connect that if that's correct, that we live in a universe of consciousness as opposed to matter, to modern science, so quantum physics is now saying it's a multiverse, it's string theory, it's they don't know quite what dark and dark matter and dark that's energy true. is. That's true. That's true. They
7: do not. That's true. Yes. They do not know exactly what dark matter is, except it is real, and it's about ninety-three percent of what's going on. <laughs> okay. Uh, they don't know what dark energy is, except that it has something to do with the expansion of the of, of the fabric of space time itself. But they don't know exactly what it is. But what they what they are begrudgingly acknowledging, what they are begrudgingly acknowledging, is that the universe that we do know, the quantum mechanical universe, is infor- is structured by information. It is structured by information, and at the tiniest level, consciousness somehow somehow influences with the physical matter. That's quantum mechanics, the the universe of the tiny, the extremely small. At the other end of it, the galactic level, which is where relativity theory talks about, it talks about um, uh, not only matter and energy, but that matter and energy and the movement of things is relative to the observer. Well, if you if you stay with that long enough, implicit in that is that there is an the observer. That consciousness observes mm. so from from the so from the galactic of relativity theory all the way down to the infinitely small of quantum mechanics, consciousness implicitly implicitly is part of the equation implicitly is quality part of the equation, and string theory, which is now evolving, is trying to bring those two together and by Ooh. the way, you know where string theory has its origin? Come on. Huh? You're on the string theory has its origins on the banks of the Nile about ten thousand years ago when mm-hmm. they were talking about uh strings and harmonies, which later on was picked up by people like Pythagoras. But it's all about vibration and mm-hmm. harmony. And strings. That's 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 where that comes from. That the world is vibration. Mm-hmm.
5: And what about the spider web that's so prominent in African mythology? Well, that is that is that is about the interconnectedness, the web of reality. Mm.
7: And 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 and, and uh, it's my belief that that image uh, that that is that is pervasive all through West Africa in particular, but all through the interior of Africa comes out of some vast lost civilization that probably I won't know about in my physical lifetime, but we'll uncover some particular day, but it talks about the tissues of, 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 of interconnectedness. And my own intuition, my own deep intuition, is that in every tissue of space-time, we're going to find that we're going to be able to unlock every aspect of things that have gone on in the universe. <coughs> or as as Paul said, as above, so hmm. below. As within, so without. That was
2: Dr. Dr. Bynum... Uh... Doctor Charles Finch. Yeah talks about um oh man.
7: He talked about the, the age, spider too. He talks
2: about the ages the ages he talks about the age of Aquarius. He talks about the age of an old man. And then there's another one. Uh all of it relating to um, uh, Age of Aquarius relates to that which has not that which has been hidden coming into light is also the the age of women, I think he says uh, uh, but I'm looking at this book, Dark Light Consciousness, and what it lays out for the everyday person that will enable them in workbook fashion become freer and independent as part of the movement yes. of freeing up the, the, the knowledge being made known to everybody. That's that's yes. where I'm going with
7: that. Yes, that's 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 exactly from my point of view that's exactly right. We have just we have just crossed over a spiritual, an astronomical and a galactic phenomenon. On December twenty first, two thousand and twelve, there was a once and every Uh, 12,000-year alignment. The plane of our galaxy and our our solar system was in exact alignment with the plane of our... I should say the plane of our solar system was in exact alignment with the plane of our galaxy. That happens once every uh, uh, 12,000... 800, I'm not exactly not sure of the numbers, but mm-hmm. that particular cycle. And we are now in our ascendancy. We are leaving the age of Pisces, and we're moving into this age, that you talked about, of Aquarius, which from the zodiacal sign of the ancient uh, Hindus is the upward sign sweep where consciousness is beginning to come back into human experience. And so mm-hmm. we're going to find people spontaneously tapping into what's called the perennial philosophy, and they're going to find notice it. it's just intuitively stuff begins to make sense again because we're coming out of a dark age, dark yuga. That's why I said that these are the dark ages. Ah. We're beginning. We these these are the dark ages. Yeah. And and and, and that we are beginning to move out of it because uh, evolution itself implies the angels. It implies where we're heading. So we've been around. Our species have been around a long time. And by the way. Uh, All you listeners out there, your soul has been around many times, through many lifetimes, many incarnations, and this is simply about remembering who you Mm. really are. Mm. And stop being seduced by matter. You are a being Mm. of light.
3: Mm.
2: Uh, Doc, with our young people being so gifted, even though they may not know that they're gifted or they may not manifest the gifting in a material way. What are some of the things that we can do to assist them in their evolution towards light and escape the material or the the uh, lower energy stuff that's being put out there for them to be attracted to? <laughs> uh,
7: as odd as it may sound, uh, one of the ways of doing that is to, is to read about and study <clears throat> miserable wealthy people. Mm-hmm. Mm. Wow. Mm. Mm. People who have all kinds of money and are still losers. Wow. Mm. You only need you only need enough, and enough means that you're not constantly worried about where your next meal is coming from, where you're going to be sleeping, and all of that. But you need a modest amount to be a modest, moderately successful person. If you are moderately successful, then you can begin to turn your real energies toward the profounder and deeper mysteries of your own soul. So you need enough, but you don't have to be a materially wealthy person. If, you're, if your mind is clear and you know what you are and who you are, you're already wealthy.
5: Hmm. So, Leroy, if I can uh, follow up on the point, the question you had is I'd like to ask um, uh, Dr. Bynum about whether he's done any work on rites of passage. It, It seems that we had a brilliant idea at some point, and then it became as if it were a fad, but to me, it was the most important thing that we could have thought of. So, whether you have a, some thoughts on it now, or like to put something together and get back to us. But I would like to see you come up with something around your work that could be incorporated into rites of passage for young people. If you're familiar, I'm sure you're familiar with what had happened back in a, in another era where our young people. Yes. Would, oh, yes. Yes. Yes.
7: Uh, well, let me think about that because it's it's different now. Than it was a hundred, or for that matter, it's different than it was uh, sixty years ago. Okay. Society has has changed, and so the rites of passage uh, okay. would be would be very different. But mm. underneath it is still the phenomenon of the need
3: mm. for rites
7: of passage, <coughs> the recognition that we are on stages on life's way, and that we, you know, we need to mark the trail that we have been on. Mm. Hmm.
5: The other thing I would like you, and we will be getting back with you on that because I think it's something so vital to our community to have sacred community. Yes. Uh, but, you know, they've taken the pyramids out of Africa by Egypt becoming the Middle East, but the they're pyramids. Tried. So, well, they're tried, and, but it, but that, that right. That, that, but the, the pyramids are so central and key. And what I want you to talk about. And I know we don't have a lot of time now, so this will continue. But you deal with sacred geometry in yes. the book very deeply. So give us some some sketch of that, please.
7: Well, historically, uh, first of all, uh, the uh, there are more pyramids in the Sudan and ancient Nubia than there are in Egypt. First of all, wow. and okay. And the second is that the pyramids. Uh, date back to at least the Pyramid Age, which is 2500 BCE, okay? Mm -hmm. There were no European civilizations then. Mm. There were no civilizations in the Middle East then, Mm. okay? This is an indigenous African phenomenon and contribution to humanity, Mm. okay? We don't have time to get into it at this particular point, but there is an intimate molecular connection between the pyramid, a pyramidal shape, melanin's absorption spectrum, and the tetrahedron, which is a pyramid-shaped phenomenon. Okay, yeah. And there is also uh, a number of meditative uh, procedures where one focuses on a py- pyramid or pyram- pyramid-shaped phenomenon in different parts of the body, in particular the top of the head, and so forth We don't have enough time to get into that right now But that tetrahedron pyramidal shape And its relationship to melanin uh, Melanin in all human beings Not only African people Because the African is the root template of all humanity yeah, yeah. Of all humanity the the the, the 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 Chinese and the Swede Are at bottom variations of the African type So we have to remember that and we have to remember that surface skin melanin is not the same as very variable, even within the same family, is not the same as neuromelanin within the brain. Mm. Okay? So that's very, very, very important.
2: Mm. Well, Doc, we have one more question before we conclude. Uh, Caller, you're on the air. Thank you for your participation. Hello? Yes. You're, Hello? You're, Yes,
8: you're there, my brother. Your question. Oh, yes, sir. Uh, this is uh, Dr. Shanti in North Carolina listening to uh, my brother. Oh, my brother. how are you doing? <laughs> how are you doing, brother? <laughs> I, I'm, I'm doing, I'm doing uh, my work.
7: I'm doing my work.
8: Oh, yes, yes. I, I have your book, and it's one of, the, one of the best books I have read, and I, and I treasure it, and I highly recommend it. Mend that to people who would like to know more about your stuff. So, mm-hmm. that all may let them know where they can get your book.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh And and uh,
8: and uh, black man. This this is this is this is this is my my roommate. <laughs>
2: That's a fact.
8: That's a fact.
2: Beautiful. Dr. the Bahima Shanti, ladies and gentlemen. You heard him a couple of days ago. Um I'm gonna Ashanti uh, sometimes I'm confused between the shows that I do between the City College <laughs> show and the blog. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. I say to the uh, audience that hangs in, you've heard him here before.
8: But I, I uh I uh, I was so elated when I got the notice that he was gonna be on your show, so I've been listening and mm-hmm. I just wanted to call in to, to to let let you know and to speak to him. And uh and let him know that we we'll have talked later.
2: All right. Okay, beautiful. Thank
8: you, Dr. Thank, Shanti.
5: Thank you. Hey, Brother Leroy. I yes, I yes. just wanna mention the publisher, uh, because um they've been most gracious. He's with innertraditions.com. dot com. Is that correct, Doctor Bynum?
7: Uh yeah, the yes. uh it's it's Inner Traditions and Bear Company, uh, up in Vermont and they've been uh, very gracious and they uh, you know, when I wrote the book, they didn't ask me to change anything, and uh, they said, go with it, you know, and they, they, t- they said, we're going to take a chance here, and uh, so I, I feel very grateful to them, and they're, they're a great outfit, they did a fantastic um, um, uh, production of this, and they're distributing it worldwide, they say that, you know, they want to make a contribution themselves. And yes, so, I know
5: Sister Cynthia, she's exclusively with foreign rights now, so we want to get out the word. I think innertraditions.com is one website they can go to, and that's I-N-N, as in Nancy, E-R, and then traditions, T-R-A-D-I-T-I-O-N-S.com. Everybody needs to have this book because it's a course to freedom and liberation, truly. Uh, I just want to get in one last question, if I could. And you use a term, um, and thank you so much, Brother Leroy, for this opportunity. You you use the term called cryptoamnesia. Yes. I want to give the audience a couple of uh, examples of what you mean by cryptoamnesia.
7: Cryptoamnesia, crypto meaning uh, hidden, like a, uh, cryptography, and amnesia meaning forgetting. So cryptoamnesia is where you is a phenomenon where you uh learn something or you discover something and then you forget and where it comes from and later on you come back upon it and it um and you sort of rediscover it. Well, historically cryptoamnesia is where uh, uh, uh people will um learn uh a phenomenon and then forget where it came from and then later on when it's remembered again think that they created it the most classic example is what we were talking about earlier the pyramids people forget like you said that the pyramids are actually they're in africa it's an inconvenient fact for a lot of people but they're in africa and and the sphinx itself if you look closely at the sphinx sphinx and you look at the forensics of the Sphinx before they blew the nose off. This is clearly an African figure, figure mm. African head on the shape mm. of a lion, going back 10,500 BC. Mm. And the yeah. uh, the when the uh, uh, Europeans came in with Napoleon uh, back in the uh, early 1700s and they and they invaded Egypt, they did target practice and they blew off the nose of the Sphinx. Okay. Trying to erase, trying to efface the Africanness of it, because when they when they got there, they didn't see any Europeans. They saw they saw dark-skinned Africans, and they couldn't figure out who made this, because it was beyond their thinking that this was made by these people. This mm-hmm. is, and so it, it, it after a while began. Oh well, who could have done this? And then they started inventing. Uh, you know, uh, unknown uh, European tribes, proto-Libyans and and uh, other kinds of people, mm. Phoenicians, who must have done this. Because, it, by you know, it just made sense. Because certainly mm-hmm. the Africans didn't. Why? Because there are slaves. So
0: mm-hmm. how could
7: they have done this? So that's mm-hmm. crypto-amnesia, to forget the actual origin of something. And, and the actual accurate. origin of civilization itself is an African phenomenon, an African g- gift the rest of the world.
5: And, and and talk a little bit on Pythagoras, how he gets so, cred, so much credit for something well, he actually we, learned in Chemics.
7: Well, uh, uh, Pythagoras studied for 25 years in, in, in the houses of life uh, um, uh, in, in the Kemetic Egyptian universities before he left and went to uh, different places, particularly uh, um, in, in Greece and in, in uh, Italy, to begin his own mystery school. Uh, and so people, you know, and he, but he he brought the mysteries to them, and, and uh, particularly uh, in, in the areas of mathematics. And so people forget that what he learned, he learned in Africa. They think that he created it, and somehow civilization began with the Greeks. This is cryptoamnesia again. Forget that the pyramids existed, and therefore uh, geometry, trigonometry, and algebra way before the Greeks. The word algebra is an Arab word, a- algebra. Egyptian mathematics was jebra. When the Arabs came in, they called it algebra. and so it became algebra. <laughs> but we have we have we have mathematical texts that indicate that the equations for the geometry and trigonometry were solved thousands of years before the Greeks were on the sp- on the scene. Crypto amnesia. <laughs> Dr. Edward
2: Bruce Griner. I want to thank you very, very much for this classroom, beautiful session, talking about your book, and at the same time educating hundreds of others. And uh, for the, the folks who are listening in, by way of Internet, by way of your phone, please let your friends and relatives know that this program is archived at the Keys 107 uh, location, In blogtalkradio.com This is an interview that you go back over And every time you listen You're going to grow in knowledge And of course with the book Dark Light Consciousness You will be at the head of your class And you'll be in advance of our next interview With Dr. Edward Bruce Bynum I want to thank you my brother May God continue to bless you and your family And I want to thank Sister Mayat For bringing you or to the Keys One O Seven Network, the communicators.
7: It has been my honor and my privilege.
2: Good night, my brother. And God bless you.
7: God bless you.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for joining us on the Keys One O Seven Network. Wanna thank Sister Mayat, Brother Jason, Sister Uh uh Rashida, Brother James, Brother Forrest, and Brother Elijah for uh, joining in and making this program Happen and for you to have a decent classroom, remember, support the advertisers that you hear on this show uh there are there's a uh, a children's book, and uh when we do the commercial for that, take note of it and get the book. I want to thank you once again I want to thank the Most high for blessing us with a beautiful evening. May God continue to bless you all and tomorrow on WHCR, Harlem Community Radio. Those of you listening by computer, you can pick it up on www.whcr.org. We'll be on from 1 to 3 in the afternoon. And Monday morning, we're on from 9 to 10, and we have have another psychologist, Dr. Dr. Edwin Nichols. Dr. Edwin Nichols, you want to hear him talk about how to... Uh, Survive in the coming year As far as getting a job And keeping a job So once again, God bless you all Thank you very much And have an excellent evening
6: The Keys 107 Radio Guide The following reside within the Eastern Standard Time Zone Sunday evenings from 8 to 9.30, Unlawful Captive. Issues Within and Without the Prison Industrial Complex with your host, Jason X, and special guest hosts, Brother Richard Muhammad and Brother Abdul Salam Muhammad. Monday, 10 a.m. to 11 a.m., Build Your Business with Greg Jones, hosted by Sister Rafika Muhammad, Secrets and Strategies of Business Building, Credit and Finance. Tuesday, questions, when did Noah build the ark? Answer before the flood, disaster preparedness for community awareness with your host, Brother Rudolph Muhammad from 4 to 5, 20 p.m. Tuesdays from 5.30 to 6.30. Join the worldwide Peacekeepers movement with the Peacekeepers Roll call. Captain Dennis Muhammad and the Peacekeepers, hosted by Sister Rafika Muhammad. Tuesdays from 7 to 9, Respect for Life, with your host, Brother Leroy, exploring timely and important topics and guests fostering knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. Wednesday evening, Join the Keys 107, Divas of Culture, Sisters Michelle Mateer and Aisha Karifa Smart for Creatively Speaking, bringing you the best in diasporic art, culture, leisure and spirituality from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. Thursday evening, our flagship show, the Keys 107, opening the doors to endless possibilities with your host, Sister Rafika Muhammad and Brother James T. Muhammad from 6 p.m. to 7.45 From 8 to 9 p.m., join hosts Sister LaShawn Allen Muhammad and Brother Malik Green for Black Reconstruction, building the black community with bricks of knowledge and mortar of love. From 9:30 to 10:30, True School with your host Shango Blakely, as he brings parents, students, and educators together to deconstruct the school-to-prison pipeline. Friday evenings will be a Keys 107 Special Marathon. Saturdays from 4 to 6 p.m., State of Affairs with your host Stan Smith, culture and political affairs of the Caribbean diaspora. 7 to 930. The communicators with your host, Black Leroy. Everything black from a black perspective. The Keys 107, unlocking the doors to endless possibilities. www.blogtalkradio.com forward slash the keys 107 or call in at 213-943-3618. Email us at the Keys107 at gmail.com. If the keys 107 isn't on your blog talk radio, then your blog talk radio isn't really on. Thank you